Good morning, Outlook family. Sure is good to see everyone this morning. You doing all right? Good, good. Uh, if you're with me here in the room, I'm glad we're together. And if you're with us here online, I'm also glad we're together. Together is a good place to be, amen? I'm looking forward to continuing our series here this morning. We've been looking for the last few weeks at what it means to live a truly good and whole and even blessed, truly blessed life according, not to the world, not to ourselves, but according to Jesus, which is how he opened his famous Sermon on the Mount. He gave these eight proclamations of blessing, descriptors of the kind of people who will experience and enjoy life as he chooses to give it. We've been looking at one each Sunday and we're continuing that today. And so here to read to us the fifth beatitude from various biblical translations is Caleb Obert. He is a sophomore at Lawrence North High School. Come on up, Caleb. Let's give it up for Caleb. There you are, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those people who are merciful, they will be treated with mercy. Happy are those who are merciful to others, God will be merciful to them. Happy are the kind and merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. They are blessed to show mercy to others, for God will show them mercy. Those who are loving kindness are happy because they will have loving kindness shown to them. Blessings on the merciful, you shall receive mercy yourself. Awesome. Thank you, Caleb. Appreciate that, man. Absolutely. Now, with all these statements of blessing, we have wanted to know what is Jesus talking about when he uses the words he uses. And so today, let's begin by looking at this word mercy. Now, of course, as we talked about, Jesus is speaking in Greek, but he is bringing to the forefront here a deeply meaningful concept that would have been very understandable and recognizable to his hearers, and it's found in the original Hebrew word, hesed. Now, this word in the original Hebrew is indeed one of those stuffed suitcases we talked about last week. We talked about how when a word is in one language and then it gets translated into another, in our case, into English, many times that word has all kinds of meaning to the original hearers and those who were fluent in that language, and it might take several English words to really unpack the suitcase of the way they've stuffed so much meaning into that particular word. Well, I'm not sure there's a word in the scriptures more stuffed with meaning than this word, hesed, or mercy. There are a few dozen ways it can be translated. Lots of English words are used in our English scriptures to convey what's behind and all packed in to this word. But the meaning is still, all those, uh, all, all those ways of translating it are still all centered around one idea, and that is the loving kindness of God. Now that compound word, loving kindness, a couple of translations that Caleb read for us used that. That compound word was actually kind of invented, so to speak, by a Bible translator named Miles Coverdale way back in 1533, precisely in an effort to try to convey the meaning of this original word that we're talking about. And so he decided loving and kindness smushed together were the best English way, without using another dozen possible words like compassion and grace and on and on, to 
convey what this word is trying to say. And loving kindness remains a crowd favorite among those who think about, care about, write about such things. So we're talking about in mercy, you can think loving kindness, the loving kindness of God. And Jesus is asking us to be receivers and givers of that mercy or that loving kindness. Now, now this idea, be merciful, Jesus is saying to us, that idea may not at first seem very revolutionary. Some of these beatitudes have been pretty countercultural, pretty powerful in that regard. But we might hear that one and go, well, that seems pretty tame. That seems pretty straightforward. Be merciful. But the Roman culture at that time, when Jesus spoke these words, despised anything that looked like pity or mercy and saw compassion as weakness. That was not part of their culture. In fact, the fact that it sounds kind of normal or, yeah, okay, I get that, that, that actually speaks to how much our culture has indeed still been influenced by the Christian ethic and that there's, there's still some of that in our way of our worldview because we, we look at that and go, yeah, okay, that makes sense. Romans, not so much. They thought pity and compassion, anything that looked or smelled like mercy was just weakness. And of course, the Pharisees, the Jewish teachers of the law, man, these dudes were harsh on everyone. They saw suffering only as deserved punishment for sin. They didn't have mercy on it, people. They were harsh with people. And so when we begin to hear this from the perspective of those who heard it for the first time, we realize this might be a little bit more revolutionary and countercultural than we at first realize. Now, Jesus is touching on one of the most repeated refrains of the Hebrew Scriptures, our Old Testament, and that is that the hesed, or the loving kindness of God, endures forever. We read that in lots of different places in the Hebrew Scriptures, that this is core to who God is, His loving kindness. If that's true for who God is, let's ask ourselves, who are we? Who are we in this equation? That answer is easy. We are people who've received mercy. That's who you and I are in this story. It's that simple. And we shouldn't try to make it more complex. In fact, most of religion goes wrong in making it more complex. You and I are recipients of the divine mercy of God. That's, who, that, that's what defines us. This is where we begin, and this is where we are to stay. 1 Peter chapter 2.10 puts it like this. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. And what makes you the people of God? Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We are people who've simply come to realize we need God's mercy. We want a relationship with Him, and it's through His grace, mercy, and forgiveness that we get to begin and experience and enjoy such a relationship. You and I may fail in a dozen everyday ways, and even occasionally in some terrible ways, but what God wants more than anything for all of us is to forgive us, to restore us, to strengthen us, to show us mercy. But this must be our prayer. David, King David, after egregious sin, wrote Psalm 51. The first two verses go like this. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me 
from my sin. That's a prayer that we all can become well-versed in, right? God, you see everything about me, warts and all, right? All the ways I go wrong, all the ways I miss the mark, God, I need your mercy and forgiveness. Have mercy on me, O God. Cleanse me from my sin. Or as Jesus taught us to pray, forgive us our debts. When we pray prayers like this, when prayers like these become the prayers we breathe in and out, we will begin to build a proper view of ourselves. Like we've looked at in so many of these Beatitudes, we're building a proper view of ourselves. And we get whole new ways of interacting with this world. Blessed are the merciful, Jesus says, for they will be shown mercy. We need mercy, and Jesus is reminding us, having received it, we must show it. It's not always easy. We're not always good at it. But we can be getting better and better at it. Amen? I extend or express the mercy I've experienced. I don't have to come up with this all by myself. I'm being filled with mercy because I'm a child of God, right? Because I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm being tutored in what it means to show mercy as a student of Jesus. I don't have to figure this out on my own. I don't have to come up with all of it by myself. I'm experiencing it. And then in that experience, I get to express it. I don't have to scrape it all together all on my own. I simply have to stay near the one who so lavishly, lovingly, and relentlessly gives it to me. Amen? One of the most basic markers of a follower of God is mercy. And just a little bit later in this same sermon, Jesus says this in Matthew 6. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. We need to let that sink in for a moment. If you or I refuse, if we make the conscious choice to stop the flow of grace and forgiveness, if we decide that we are not going to extend it to others, we have closed off something in us that we can't afford to have closed off. Now, I don't mean that I earn God's mercy by being merciful myself. But I experience that mercy most fully and truly as I share it with others. The Apostle James channels some of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in his own letter later in the New Testament. We've looked at this uh, over the last few weeks. And he does the same when it comes to this one. In James chapter 2 it says, and James is brutal, right? I mean, James is blunt. Let's put it that way. There will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others, he simply writes. But if you've been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. There's no getting around it. In Christ's kingdom, there is no receiving without giving. That we are meant to be a conduit, not just a container of whatever it is God is giving to us. Whether it's our own uh, resources in all kinds of ways, or it's something like this. Mercy and grace, patience and love. With others. See, the degree to which, I think this is such a foundational spiritual principle. I don't know how much it helped me when I finally kind of saw this click as, we, as, as, as you get to know the scriptures. The degree to which you and I are open to give is the same degree to which we are open to receive. They work on the same mechanism. 
It's very tempting for you and I to think that we're uh, wide open when it comes to God. I love God. I want more of God. I want to receive from God. I want to learn from God. I want to experience His love and grace. I want to worship God. All of that. We think that we're wide open before God. But if we are being tight and narrow in our relationships, our patience, our grace, our mercy, our compassion to others, then we are kidding ourselves. We are narrow. It's one and the same opening. It's one and the same heart. So our openness to give is the same as our openness to receive, and vice versa. Author, teacher, and musician Michael Card writes about this word that we're talking about here this morning in his book, Inexpressible. It's a study just on this one Hebrew word, loving kindness, or hesed. And he, in, in, and when it comes to the point we're making right now, he, 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 uh, he says this, Jesus' teaching does not represent a strictly legal system where God forgives us because we forgave, quid pro quo. No, what a horrifying notion uh, it would be that God's forgiveness would be limited by my inability to forgive. It's something deeper than that. He says, God, no, God's forgiveness and mercy represent the gift of someone who, though we have no right to expect anything from him, still gives us all things. That's his working definition of hesed, of loving kindness, is that God gives us everything, though we have no right to expect a single thing. But that's who he is in his loving kindness. He gives. He goes on, before the relationship of hesed, before we've come to Christ and, and repented and asked him to just cleanse me from my sin, forgive me, Lord, before that relationship, we have no expectations, he says, but after, after it is extended and received, everything changes. And he's right. Given this extravagant gift, how could we not respond in kind, he asks. This gift, the power of it, the the sheer value of it being given to us so freely changes us. It It changes who we are. It changes how we interact. It changes how we see the world. Jesus is constantly reminding and urging people not to separate the vertical, our relationship with God, from the horizontal, our relationship with people, my relationship with God from my relationship with people. People made in his image, people God knows and loves. Yes, even that person that you're thinking about right now, right? The one who's getting on your ever-loving last nerve. God knows and loves that person as much as he knows and loves you. The Pharisees and the religious leaders were notorious for this, separating the vertical from the horizontal. And if we're honest, maybe you and I can be too. But instead, Jesus calls us to be merciful. So what's it mean to be merciful? Well, according to him, this mercy expresses itself in two main ways. First, forgiving. Second, not judging. Let's unpack that here together. Forgiveness can be defined this way, not holding someone's sin against them. It's a pretty straightforward and simple definition of forgiveness. Someone has injured or hurt me. I have every reason to be hurt by them or to even be angry with them, or I have something against them. That's, that's real and legitimate. Forgiveness is not holding it against them any longer. Now, we're not talking about saying, hey, what you did, it wasn't wrong. Or, everything's just fine and okay. Forgiveness isn't about either of those things. It's not saying those things. But forgiveness is about, one way or another, saying this. I'm letting it go. And I'm letting you go. 
I release all right to retaliation or anger or superiority. You're free of this, and so am I. No penalty, no payment will be exacted from me. You owe me nothing more. That's forgiveness. We may have gotten an apology that we were indeed owed. We may have even gotten repentance from someone, and we might have very well been owed that. Or we might not have gotten that. Both of those things can be very, very true, as we all know, in our human relationships. Forgiveness says, either way, I'm cutting it loose. I'm forgiving the debt. Now, that's easy to understand as we sit here in church on a Sunday morning, right? You can be like, yeah, that sounds good. I like that. That even sounds like a really beautiful concept. What if we had more of that in the world? But we all know it's not easy to do. In fact, I think it's humanly impossible almost without the mercy and grace that we receive from Jesus. In Matthew chapter 18, Peter comes up to Jesus and he asks, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Peter is, is showing Peter is revealing the size of the space for grace in his heart, right? We talked about it's one and the same mechanism. And so he has kind of shown how open he is to forgive. And he's probably thinking, hey, this is pretty darn good, seven times. But then Jesus says, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. Like, let me just blow your mind on that, right? Jesus is prying open Peter's space for grace. And he does it with you and me, too. He's saying, oh, I, I need more room to work in there. And I know that the ability, your ability, your, your openness, your, your sense of, uh, of the importance of forgiving others and not holding their sin against them will only deepen your own ability to receive and appreciate and sense how much I've forgiven you, that they are one and the same. Jesus goes on to tell a parable. In response to what Peter has said here, he goes on to tell a story about a guy who owes his employer a sum too large to ever repay. And he begs for forgiveness of his debt. And the boss gives it. It's amazing. If you're listening to this story for the first time and you're hearing Jesus say, you're like, that would never happen. That's amazing. This guy owed all that money and the, and the boss just said, you know what, let's just forget it. Let's write it all off. I mean, you would listen to that and you would think that would be awesome. Wouldn't that be great, right? And everyone would think this is a great story. Then the same guy who just had his unpayable debt forgiven finds a coworker who owes him a few bucks and demands that he pay up. Now at this point, you're listening to the story and you're like, that should never happen. I mean, this is an injustice. This is wrong. How can he even think of doing that, right? You're on the edge of your seat, right? Now you're mad at the guy. You were happy for him. Now you're mad at him. But this other coworker, he can't pay up, but our guy won't let up. And so what happens next is his fellow coworkers see all this, they're shocked, and they report it back to the boss, who calls in the original guy and asks a simple but profound question. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? With surgical precision, Jesus, in, with, through the words he puts in the boss's mouth, gets right to the heart of the matter. What really, what everyone's thinking, what everyone's wondering, it is the question that's most pressing. 
You were just forgiven a debt you could never have paid. What on earth made you think that you should hold against another a small debt that they owe to you? The guy is sent to debtor's prison. Jesus says that this is how it works with God. There's really no getting around it. Do not think you can receive His grace and be graceless yourself. When you and I are graceless with each other, we are indeed graceless. Now, receiving grace is required, and that's where all good things begin. That's exactly what God longs to give us. But when we are graceless with others, we have essentially shut off that mechanism of receiving. God wants nothing more to forgive, but we cannot ignore these warnings that Jesus has given us. If I were writing the Bible, hey, I would have put it a little differently. But I'm not writing the Bible. And Jesus knows exactly what he's talking about. And there is no real receiving according to him, that doesn't result in giving. Forgive us our debts. He taught us to pray. How? As we have also forgiven our debtors. He embeds it right there in his model prayer. So, one aspect of mercy is forgiveness. Another is not judging. Are we having fun yet? I mean, what a... Right? What an easy little list here for all of us to pull off. Oh, forgiving? Oh, great. Oh, not judging? Hey, even better, okay? See, the opposite of merciful is judgmental. In Luke chapter 6, Jesus puts it like this. He, he, he groups all this stuff together. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. So again, this is a recurring theme. Do not judge, and you'll not be judged. Do not condemn, you'll not be condemned. Forgive, there it is, and you will be forgiven. And then he says this, a picture of blessing. We're talking about blessed are you, right? Blessed are the merciful. Give and it will be given to you, Jesus says. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and now running over. Picture a a basket, perhaps, uh, filled with grain, right? Filled with harvest. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, now running over, will it be poured into your lap? And then there's this principle that we're, we're running into squarely throughout this sermon here. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, in this vivid picture, not only of blessing, but of some level, of some principle here that Jesus keeps pointing us back to, and that is that even though God loves to be abundant, we can only receive what we're open to receive. And what we are open to receive seems to be measured just as equally by what we're open and willing to give. Then he goes on and says this, to to even uh, fine-tune the picture a little bit more. Luke 6 still. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye? Pay no attention to the plank in your own eye. How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? You know, it's almost humorous, right? Jesus is using a word picture that would have to make his original listeners snicker a bit, right? Picture me with a two-by-four coming out of my face while I come up to you and say, oh, you got a little something in your eye right? I mean, it's ridiculous, and that's exactly what Jesus wants us to realize. It is ridiculous. Then to drive the point home, he says, you hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. It's, It's important to remember, Jesus is never saying that it's a bad thing to help your brother or sister get a speck out of their eye, right? 
that we are indeed actually called to, to encourage each other and even hold each other accountable in our growth and our, in our maturity as followers of Jesus. And that if you've got a speck in your eye and I see it, then there is a way to lovingly come alongside you and say, hey, can I help with that? There's nothing wrong with that. But where it goes really wrong is when I am not looking at myself at all, I'm not thinking, hey, there's nothing in my eye, I am so solid, I'm good. Jesus is saying that's when it becomes hypocritical. Blessed are the merciful, blessed are the non-judgmental when it comes to your brothers and sisters in Jesus. He says it's a good and happy thing to be a merciful person, not so hard on people, and maybe not so hard on ourselves. This runs counter, Jesus ran into this all the time, and you and I do too in our own selves, this this runs counter to self-centeredness and self-righteousness, right? Instead, Jesus is pointing us towards self-identification. We identify ourselves in the plight of others, in the the lives of others, in the challenges of others. We, We gain empathy. We realize, hey, I've got specks in my eye, sometimes even planks. Sure, you do too. How can we help each other. That's empathy. In other words, I'm not judging you as if I'm better and now you're flawed. Man, we're all flawed. And we all need help. And we could use it from each other, right? Amen? So Jesus is pushing people out of that uh, self-centeredness or self-righteousness into that empathy. Mercy is really impossible without some empathy, some sense of walking in another's shoes. But often we live in a merciless world. Jesus certainly did as well. Twice, Jesus quotes from the Old Testament prophet Hosea to some religious leaders. One time, he quotes Hosea 6.6 when he's at a dinner party with the tax collector Matthew, his brand new disciple, and all of Matthew's sinner friends, according to the way the religious leaders thought about it. So there is Jesus, this rabbi, having dinner with all these folks who never make it to church, right, and who everyone was labeling as quote-unquote sinners, And the religious leaders are hanging around there. They're kind of being buzzkills, and they're like, uh, they're having serious trouble with this. This is what Jesus says to them. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. He's quoting Hosea 6.6, and he's saying, go, you who spend all your time in the Scriptures, you think you've got this thing nailed, and you're experts on this, I'm going to give you a little homework. Go and learn what this Scripture means. And this is God speaking in the Scripture. I desire what? Mercy, not sacrifice. Jesus is saying, look, I'm here to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they're not. That's what I'm here to do. Now, later uh, in uh, Matthew, uh, he and his disciples all get scolded by the religious leaders because they are walking from village to town and they eat. It's on the Sabbath and they grab some heads of grain from the grain that's growing roadside there, and they kind of pop it in their mouth. Get a little lunch on the way. Now, according to these uptight religious leaders, that counted as work. That was like harvesting grain. You're not supposed to do that kind of thing on the Sabbath. So they called a foul. These religious referees said, that's, not, that's out of line. And this is what Jesus says. If you had known these, what these words mean, again, same passage, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. You would have not condemned the innocent. Jesus is saying at this point, all the ritual and religious adherence you can muster is meaningless without what we're talking about here, love and mercy. These religious leaders have lost sight of that. They're not merciful. They're merciless. 
They're totally consumed with things that are not, they're majoring on minors. They're missing the point. The law was intended to drive us toward the mercy of God, who alone is judge. Not become judges yourselves. Jesus is setting them straight in this regard. Mercy is forgiveness. Mercy is not judging others. Considering ourselves better, putting ourselves in the judge's chair against someone else. So important. And what we're talking about this morning in this beatitude, probably one of the most direct beatitudes, pretty straightforward in that regard, it speaks to a foundational truth in Jesus' kingdom, a recurring theme in his teaching. Love expressed in mercy Grace and forgiveness is the most powerful force there is. It melts hate. It neutralizes resentment. It speeds peace between people. It changes the world. And the kindness and the charity that flows from mercy cannot be underestimated. Think of the parable of the Good Samaritan, which ends, this guy helps you know, someone who's suffering a terrible plight, and at the end he says, which of these was a neighbor? And what was the answer? The one who had mercy on him. I think about what's happening in Ukraine. I know that's heavy on all of our hearts and minds. I just urge us to keep praying for everyone who's affected by that, especially as refugees are, are making their way out. We have uh, missionary partners in Latvia, who uh, the Ronies, and they are, they're doing fine right now, but of course they're busy receiving refugees. And so keep them in prayer. We'll post a couple of links this week where you can uh, help and, and get some updates and stuff like that. But, but let's just keep, keep that in prayer. And if you find ways, or like I said, we'll send a couple links. Let's, let's be as generous in giving as we can and helping in all kinds of ways the people who are suffering that plight. That's what mercy does. It gets us out of ourselves. It's us thinking about others, keeps us open. We're receiving and we're giving. Cannot separate the vertical from the horizontal. God certainly doesn't. See, we think reading our Bibles and prayer and gathering for worship, uh, we think of those things as exercises that draw us near to God and in the drawing make us more like Him. And we are absolutely correct. But I'm wondering, as I read this, if showing mercy and loving kindness shouldn't be added to that short list of some of those most powerful spiritual habits or disciplines. For nothing widens the space, so to speak, between us and God quite as efficiently and effectively as being unkind, unloving, and unmerciful to others. We're all tempted to do it. We all do it. And it's exactly what can affect our relationship with God. Why do I feel far from God? We might ask ourselves. Why does my passion for him seem cooled? It may have much to do with how I'm thinking about judging and treating others. Though I'm keeping up with my Bible reading plan, even praying regularly, making it to church even most Sundays, am I living with resentment or bitterness or unforgiveness that's making my prayers bounce right off the ceiling or at least feel like it? Have I shaded myself from the rays of God's loving kindness and now become cooled and darkened in how I'm seeing others? These are questions worth asking. Because, friends, we need forgiveness, but we've got to let it flow. We're we're meant to be a river, not a reservoir. 
And standing in the flow of mercy is what Jesus is saying here is a blessed place to be. We'll only rise above what we can't get over. We'll, no, we'll go no farther than what we can't get past. So we've got, there are things in our lives, maybe even today, there's something in your life, you've got to get over it. You, there are things you've got to get past because it's keeping you from going any further or any higher. We talk quite a bit about this kind of stuff around here at Outlook because Jesus talked about it a lot. And I know I'm in a room full of human beings like me who probably could use reminded of it. How great and powerful a thing simple mercy is. It's God's response to us. It's who we are, recipients of it. And merciful is what he calls us to be. The Old Testament prophet Micah sums up today's parable and a couple uh, leading up to this very well when he says, what is, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Let's pray about that. Lord, we thank you for the truth you are teaching here to us. When we hear it, something in us knows, man, that's what I need. I need more of that. That's who I want to be. We can't do that on our own. We easily confess that, Lord, but we thank you that we're not on our own, that you're with us. You're, you, you, you want more than anything to fill us, to walk alongside us, to guide us. And so, Lord, we're just going to keep submitting ourselves to you. We're going to, we're going to keep prying ourselves open that you would fill us like you promised to do so that we can then be conduits of who you are and who you're making us to be to others in this world. That's, that's what we want, and we, we confess that to you. We make that request to you, that you would fill us and use us in your mercy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.